And all things are of God, which hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and that committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Father, we pray tonight, dear Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts. Father, instruct us of the role that we play in this end-time harvest, God, that we all have a part to play, God. And God, we pray, God, that many, many will be reconciled back to you, God, in these last days, God. We give you the glory and honor and the praise, Lord, for your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Reconciliation is a now word. Now more than ever it needs to be reached to this chaotic world in these end times. And as a church, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation to the scripture I just read, and we all have a part to play in it. 5 and 20 says we are ambassadors of Christ. We are to implore. In other words, absolutely beg people to be reconciled. There's still only one way to be reconciled. That's through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But we believers are to play a part in the process of leading people to or back to Christ. There is a major ingredient found in reconciliation. I want to talk about it for a moment. For a moment, I want to talk about a four-letter word, and that word is love. The only way you'll ever truly understand the full meaning of this word is to know God, because God is love. The Bible has plenty to say about it. Love covers a multitude of sin. The greatest commandment is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your mind. You're to love your neighbor as thyself. Perfect love casts out fear. So many people are confused about what love is. There's so many counterfeits of love. Lust being the greatest, many people confuse the night of intimacy with love. You need to know love creates intimacy, but intimacy without love is simply just lust. Jesus was the greatest example of love. And as Christians, we must portray love, possess love, and share love. It's a single most proof that God dwells in you. We put many restrictions on love, build our own limitations as to how much, how long, or even who we're going to love. The healing balm that our world needs is love. First of all, let's read what love is and what love isn't, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 8. Love suffers long. It is kind. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks not evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things, and love never fails. Unless we have the love of God in our hearts, we will fail in this arena in ministry of reconciliation. Now, I had to talk about this thing called love for just a moment because it's going to be the key to my message tonight. Tonight, I'm going to take you to a chapter in the Bible that I personally, in all my years of serving God, have hardly ever heard anything preached about it. But it is way too important for it not to be preached on more often than it is, especially to the believers. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philemon. Now, to say something to you some time, it's between the book of Titus and Hebrews. It's only one page. It's a unique epistle, the shortest book in the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and it actually appears to be simply a story about a letter written by Paul to a man named Philemon, who was a slave owner that Paul had won to the Lord. And I seek to show you what it truly represents. I consider it to be a love letter. And maybe you'll view it that way by the time I'm done. I view it that way because it's written out of the love of Paul's heart that he has for someone to see that someone's life is reconciled back to God and restored back to its purpose. 
Is that our responsibility as Christians as well? It is, according to Jesus. He said, he's given to us a ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the responsibility of it. Folks, we live in a fallen world. Every one of us was born into a fallen state. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, we've all been born into sin and have need to be reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. And even after we've done that, then throughout our lives, we have tendencies to fall from grace, such as when we're snared by the enemy that our pastors preached on this morning. When this happens, God has instructed us to repent, move on, to be restored, to be reconciled back to God. Like he told the woman who was called in adultery, he told her, she's forgiven to go and sin no more. He promised he's faithful and just to forgive us all sins and cleanses of all unrighteousness. That if we should sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for you and me. You see, God has a plan for reconciliation. It's the body of Christ that struggles with it. And we've got to do a better job at this. So we're going to talk about this for a short moment tonight. People overlook this book thinking it has no value as compared to Ephesians or the book of Romans written to the body of believers. Please note, this book is about a letter written personally to a believer from the Apostle Paul while he is physically in prison. It's written by an old man at this point in his life that is confined to a cold, dark prison cell, perhaps in Rome. Paul was writing this letter to a man he considered to be his son in the faith named Philemon. The purpose of the letter was to ask Philemon, who was a slave owner, to consider taking back a slave who had run away from him named Onesimus. Paul wanted him to forgive him, and he wanted him to give the slave another chance. I want you to see how this letter was instrumental, helping a slave, someone who was once bound, to become free and make peace with his enemies. How could a letter do this? It was written out of love. Now, Philemon was considered a spiritual son to Paul, like Timothy was considered to be to him. But it was Timothy that always got all the spotlight. Philemon is very seldom even mentioned, but Paul loves him the same. Paul's letter to him wasn't about him and Philemon. It was about another man Paul had come to love named Onesimus. Philemon knew Onesimus as well. Matter of fact, Onesimus belonged to him as a slave before he ran away from him. You see, Philemon was a slave owner whom Paul was instrumental in leading to Christ. So let's review. Philemon is a slave owner. Onesimus is a runaway slave from Philemon. But Paul loved them both. It's apparent Philemon and Onesimus were at odds with one another. And Paul was trying to help reconcile the situation by asking Philemon to take Onesimus, the slave, back. Why? Because Paul knew Onesimus wasn't the same guy that Philemon used to know. He was changed by Jesus Christ. Apparently, according to Scripture, though, Onesimus didn't leave on good terms. He had apparently done something to offend Philemon. Paul references the fact by saying to Philemon, if Onesimus owes you anything... Put it on my bill. I'll take care of it. Paul didn't owe Philemon anything, but he was willing to pay for what a slave named Onesimus owed, though. The Bible is not clear on how it was for Onesimus to even come to know who Paul is and to encounter him, but by his knowing that Paul is in prison and Paul believing that Onesimus could possibly owe his former master something, we can be assured that it's quite possible they met in prison. And that Onesimus was there perhaps because he had stolen from Philemon or perhaps just running away from him was the injustice. Whatever the act of Onesimus had committed, most likely led to his incarceration, which provided the opportunity for Paul to minister to him. Paul had led Onesimus to the Lord just like he had Philemon. And Paul loved Onesimus enough to want to help him be reconciled and make peace with his enemies. 
And we too as believers have got to love people enough to lead them to Christ and help them to be reconciled. Now, when I mention slavery, of course, because of our American history, we relate it to a single act that sadly transpired in our history. If that's the only way you view slavery today, when I mention slave, then you're going to miss God's greater point tonight because that's not the kind of slavery I'm referencing. I want us to look at it more broadly, even with spiritual reference. I'm referencing slavery to the whole human race to where as we all have been bound at some point in our life, to where we are slaves of our past, or we've been slaves to our failures, to where sin has even mastered us. When we fall into sin, we're considered slaves to it. In Philemon's culture, to have a slave or a servant in those days was a symbol of wealth. If you were wealthy, you were able to afford servants. Philemon was not a lower-class man. He was quite wealthy, who's come to know Christ by faith under Paul's ministry. Now, let me some, say something about Paul's ministry right here. Paul's ministry was a great ministry. The evidence was the fact that Paul could reach the rich and the poor, which proves the gospel is just as effective for the rich as it is for the poor. They had the same need for it. Why? Because it's God's will that not any man should perish. God's not a respecter of persons. Whether you're a banker or a cab driver, you need to be saved. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you need to be saved. Whether you're a lawyer or a school teacher, you need to be saved. Whether you're a doctor or you're a junkie, you need to be saved because the gospel is for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. So a great ministry is not just one that's performed in the hood. It's just as effective for those that live in Beverly Hills. Your heart for people to be saved should not warrant boundaries or limitations. If so, then you're not perfected in love. Your love should not be limited to race or social status. You must be able to see that people need to be given the same opportunity you had to come to know Christ. You must no longer think of them or who they used to be, but who they can become. They can become a child of God. They can become joint heirs with Jesus Christ and now belong to the family of God. Is now, therefore, your brother or sister in Christ. Come on, somebody. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. True love will produce true ministry. A good ministry reaches all walks of life with the same love. Now, let's move on. You see, the book of Philemon has no doctrinal value, organizing principles for building a church, nor any kinds of instructions for deacons or elders. It doesn't deal with immorality and that kind of stuff. It's just about the heart of a man who loves people and wants to see their lives be restored. In this book, we have a prisoner incarcerated physically in a prison, but he's free spiritually. And Paul was writing to Philemon to say, by all rights, Onesimus is yours. You paid the price for him. And it's true he didn't live up to serving you well. He ran out on you. In other words, I know he messed up, and I'm asking a lot of you, but I'm writing to ask you to forgive him and take him back. I know he ran away from you, but he ran into me, and I led him to Christ. And he had an encounter with God, and God has converted him. And you of all people who have been converted too ought to know what I'm fixing to tell you, and that is because God has converted him, he's not the man he used to be. Hallelujah. The one who was your slave is now my spiritual son, and I'm now his spiritual father. And as a father, I love him enough to see to it his life is restored. Oh, I know he made some mistakes, but I believe he's ready to come back and make things right. I know he might even owe you something. And if he does, Philemon, put it on me. I'll pay for it all. Anybody catching on to where I'm going with this yet? If not, hang on. Don't we all know what it's like to run away from something you just couldn't deal with anymore? just couldn't take the pressure of it anymore or the pain of it anymore. There's some folks in here tonight thinking about running and just haven't took off yet, making a plan to thinking just one more time 
and I'm gone. It's one thing for you to want to run away, but it's awful important when you do, you ask, where are you running to? We might not admit it, but all of us have been a runaway at some time in our life. When we couldn't stand the heat and we got out of the kitchen, the pressure causes us to run. Temptation causes us to run. Circumstances causes us to run away. Pain causes us to run. Abuse causes us to run. Desperate people do desperate things. And any time you're running away from how you've been defined, how people are seeing you, how people are treating you, any time you refuse to be bound and you've got to get away, you're considered a runaway slave. Running from your past, running from a bad marriage, running from a stressful job, your failures or abuse, you're a runaway slave. Onesimus was a runaway slave who ran into Paul in prison and doing so through the grace of God and the love that Paul showed him got liberated him on the inside before he ever got him free on the outside. There's some folks you got out of your situation, but you're still bound on the inside. And God wants you to run into him and get liberated on the inside so you can be truly free on the outside. Because what good is it for you to be away from where you were on the outside, but still living there on the inside? Out of the abusive home, but still tormented by the abuse. Out of a bad relationship, but can't have a good relationship because of what you went through in the last one. God wants you whole inside and out, liberated and reconciled. Come on, somebody. There is a liberating power in this place tonight. Hallelujah. I've met so many people who are bound by past experiences. They pray for God to get them out of them. He does, but then they say they can't move on because of the past hurts. Been 20 years ago, still can't go forward, always wanting to dwell in the past. You're like the Israelites who were in bondage for 400 years, praying for God to set them free, and he does. They were released from Egypt but never made it forward to the promised land. Why? Because they came out of Egypt, but Egypt never came out of them. They were free on the outside but still bound on the inside. How detrimental was this to them? They never, they never made it to the promised land. I'm talking to somebody. You better be thankful you didn't stay home tonight. God has promised them he would take them from the oppression, the bondage, and give them a brighter future. A land flowing with milk and honey, but they couldn't get past their past to receive their future. I've seen so many times people allow their past failures to destroy their futures. God can only take you as far as you're willing to go. That's why we got so many people struggling in marital relationships. She marries Tony. He treats her bad. So God makes a way out. Then she prays for a good man, and God gives her Bobby. Problem is she treats Bobby like he's Tony, and it destroys the relationship. Are you hearing me? Why? Because she's still hurting from what Tony did. It wasn't enough just to get away from Tony. She's got to get him out of her. And just making a physical transition was not enough. It takes a spiritual transition to where love can heal the wounds of your past. So here's Paul who's in prison writing a letter to help somebody be reconciled. I'm going to keep working this thing until somebody gets this tonight. He writes to Philemon a letter and says to him, Philemon, I believe that Onesimus is more, is more profitable to you now than he ever was before. Now, Philemon, I know, puts you in a dilemma, but because if Onesimus is my son then that makes him your brother. And if he's your brother, he can't be your slave no more. And if you have the grace to forgive him as God has had towards you, and you receive him back as your brother and not your slave, then you're going to see just how useful he is now. You're not going to see him as he was, but as he is now. Truly converted folks aren't the same, church. Let me remind you, behold, old things are passed away. Old things are passed away, and you become a new creature in Christ. You're different. You're not the same. You're not the guy you used to or the girl you used to in the eyes of God no any longer. It's man who has a struggle of seeing people for who they were and not who they are. we got to see people like God sees people. 
not as they were, but who they could be. There was a time I was useless, but by God's grace, he made me useful for the kingdom of God. I was reconciled. He restored my life. He made peace with my enemies for me so I could not only be free on the inside, but also free on the outside. For now, regardless of my situations and circumstances that at times lock me up, that limit me and hinder me, I'm still free in thee. He wrote Philemon, I know Onesimus didn't treat you right. Paul writes, I know you might not want to forgive him because of all he's done to you, but you got to as a brother. Take him back, and if he owes you anything, I'll pay for it. Just put it on me. And he goes on to write, I'll pay you when I return. And by the way, don't forget, Philemon, you owe me everything. That ought to be speaking to all of us right there. Philemon, if you're believing he owes you something and you, you want to keep holding over on him on the debt, you can't hold on to more. Just put it on to me. But just move it over from his column to my account. I know I didn't owe it, but I love this man so much, I'm going to pay for it. Paul writes, you know I'm good for it. I'm willing to pay the price for him. Are you getting this? Do you know who I'm really relating to yet? Our Heavenly Father, who is willing to pay the price for every one of us. He paid every debt we owe, the debt of sin. He paid a debt he did not owe, and we owed a debt that we could not pay. He did it because he loved us, that so we might be forgiven and reconciled back to God. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Hope you're starting to get this. There's some folks holding debts over people's lives, people that need to be free. But you're trying to keep them as a slave to you because you feel they owe you for what they've done to you. It's time to forgive. Unforgiveness is sinful. Let me remind you of something found in Matthew 18. Jesus dealt with this kind of attitude. In Matthew 18, verse 23, Jesus begins to tell a parable. He starts out saying, the kingdom of heaven is like unto this, the story he tells us about. In other words, this is how the kingdom of heaven operates. Jesus says there was a certain king who, who, owed, who found out one of his servants owed him 10,000 talents. That was a lot of money in that day. So he called him in and demanded he pay it. And the servant tells the king, I don't have the means to. So the king commands for the man, his wife, his children, everything he owns to be sold to pay the debt. The servant falls down at the feet of the king and cries for mercy and more time to repay him. The king's moved with compassion. And therefore, he tells the servant, your debt is totally forgiven. You owe me nothing. So the servant goes out, though, and finds a man who owes him a hundred pence. It's not even close to what he owed the king. He grabs the man by the throat, and he demands he pay him. The man pleads for mercy, just like he had with the king. But the servant refuses his demand and has the man thrown into prison until he pays the debt. The king hears of this act, and he calls the servant back that owed him and, and talked to him. He said, you old wicked servant, you mean to tell me I had compassion on you and forgave your debt when you asked for mercy, yet when someone owes you so much less, asked for mercy, you couldn't have compassion on them? It angered the king so much he had servant thrown into prison until he remained there until he paid the debt. Jesus says more plainly in Matthew 6 and 14 when he said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Paul writes, Philemon, I'm writing to you because I'm about to send Onesimus back to you. And it's going to test you to see if you're able to forgive somebody you've been angry with. To see if you really got this thing called forgiveness in your heart. Remember, God forgave you and you owed him everything. I'm suggesting to you he's useful now. And the only way you can forgive him is if you're big enough to get over what you were mad at him about. We got to learn to be like God and give people another chance. When they're willing to change... From being useless to useful. They must be given the opportunity to prove they changed 
and we are to help them be reconciled. We're too hard sometimes with people for just wanting the same chances you had when you failed. Philip, when you say you have the love of God in your heart, do you? Would you pass a test to prove that? Sometimes God will test you with people. If you declare you're a person who truly cares, get ready. That will be tested. When we're asking him for mercy and asking him for second chances and asking for grace for our own lives, sometimes he will test you with somebody who's asking you for grace and mercy and forgiveness to see how you respond to them. If God can give it to you, can you give it to others? Listen to me. I'm making this point because Onesimus is coming back to the church. Church, get ready. Wayward sons and daughters are coming back home. Men and women who have messed up, men and women who've done wrong, people who have failed, get ready. It's harvest time, and they're coming back to the church wanting another chance, looking rec for reconciliation and mostly love. They have become, may, they may have become useless, but through the ministry of reconciliation, they're going to become more useful to the kingdom of God than ever. They're looking for someone to love them. They're looking for someone to forgive them, to give them another chance, for someone that won't abuse them, for someone that will accept them. Church, get ready. The test is coming. Onesimus is coming. Somebody who did you wrong is coming. Somebody you have a right you feel to be angry with is coming. The test is coming. Get ready. I know I don't, you don't want to hear this. Onesimus has come to see if the church has grown any, if it's developed any, if it's learned anything from all the teaching we've been given. Do we practice what we preach? Do we live out what we've learned? Are we doers of word? Are we merciful? Will we love them? Will we help them and reconcile them back to God and their purpose and help them make peace with their enemies? They're coming, church. In this last day harvest, the church is fixing to be full of Onesimus. And we've got to get this thing called love right. And we'll only do that through a relationship with Christ. People going around declaring, I want to preach the gospel to the world. And God says, okay, start with your spouse. I want to help the hurting. Okay, start with your family. I want to help the poor. Okay, start with your neighbor. Church, get ready for the test. Paul was testing Philemon. Can you handle this? Have you matured to the point? Can you see someone in a new light and overlook their failures like Christ did yours? I know you and Onesimus got issues, but have you got the heart of God to the point you're willing to forgive him like God forgave you, willing to love him like God loves him in spite of his past? Can you see him now as a brother and not a slave? Can you see how he is now, or will you always view him as a guy who did wrong? Will you stand, still hold him hostage to how he used to be? Folks, people are going to fail. They're going to let you down. They're going to make mistakes, and they're going to be snared. And it can't be one strike and you're out. When the disciple asked Jesus, how many times must I forgive him? Seven? Jesus said, no, it's 70 times seven. Paul wrote, I know he used to be useless, but since being converted, he's now useful. Will you give him the same chance God gave you to change? That question ends up on our doorstep even today. Will you give your spouse? Will you give your son? Will you give your daughter? Will you give your friends the same chance to prove they've changed too? You know what Onesimus' name meant when translated to English? Useful. See, God always saw him as useful, even when he believed he was useless. God has always seen you as useful, even when you felt useless. God never created anyone to be useless. That was our choice or the enemy's successful plot if we are. Sometimes you can't reach your destiny hanging around certain folks. 
because they always limit you to how they met you. Once people see you from a particular perspective, they will hold you hostage to how they met you. Never seen you as ever being anything more. I know this firsthand, 37 years old, no one approached me until one day a true Christian lady saw something in me no one else ever saw. She saw me like God saw me. She helped me to be reconciled. Everyone else around me only saw me as how they met me. I believe I know why now God moved me from my hometown. He knew I wouldn't be allowed to grow there because my old friends would have held me hostage to who I was. Sometimes you got to leave the place you're in become useful again. Onesimus was, a use, was useful. He just couldn't find his use as nothing more than a slave. When he knew he was to become more than a slave, but he didn't know how to be, he needed to be helped to change. And we got a lot of people living there, so messed up, running here to there from this and that. No, they're supposed to be more, yet they feel so useless, but they can't find their use on their own. They need help. So often they're looking in all the wrong places. It's time to quit running because the problem is you're running to the wrong places. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. I don't know of anybody on this earth who doesn't want to be loved. Love is a reconciler. Onesimus ran into God, and he found love, which in return transformed him and connected him with Paul, who helped him restore his life. It takes God and man working together to build the kingdom of God. People who you lock into based on who you used to be can seldom help you reach your destiny. That's a word for somebody right there. People who see me now who knew me then can sometimes get an attitude with you, like, don't you forget where you came from. I'll let them know quick, I won't ever forget where I came from, but I really wish you would because I'm not the man I used to be. I'm redeemed. He set me free. Come on, somebody. You got to stand up for who you are. You need to run away from anybody who tries to hold you back because of your childhood mistakes. Run from anybody that wants to hold you to how they met you. Slavery is not useful. It's abuseful. Most people have been abused before they were ever used. Paul put Philemon in a challenging position based on his history, Onesimus. There's no way at all Philemon would have even considered taking Onesimus back, especially as a brother, had it not been for the love letter Paul used to intercede with. Philemon is going through a major test here with his faith because the person he's angry with is coming to him through the person he loves, Paul. And if he doesn't accept him as Paul has asked as a brother, he jeopardizes his relationship with Paul. Are you getting where I'm going to yet? You see, sometimes you need somebody to speak for you other than you, to make intercession for you. Onesimus had favor with Philemon, but Paul didn't have favor with Philemon, but he did with Paul. If Onesimus would have come to Philemon on his own without Paul's favor, perhaps Philemon could have even killed him. The only thing standing between Philemon and Onesimus was this love letter. He writes, Onesimus is now useful. I started to keep him myself. He said, that's how much I love him. I'm not sending you because he's useless. I'm sending to you because he can be useful to you. Do you know scholars write on Onesimus' destiny? They said he went on to become a pastor, that he actually took over Timothy's church and even becomes a bishop over the church of Ephesus because Philemon ended up doing the right thing and gave him a chance, and folks, he started out as a slave. Don't tell me God can't restore and transform lives from useless to useful. I want you to understand it doesn't matter how you start out. It matters how you finish. The Apostle Paul didn't start out so well himself. He began as Saul who persecuted Christians. But we, when he ran into Christ one day on the road to Damascus, God converted him and sent him to Ananias' house to help restore him and then send him away to be useful. And as a result, Paul wrote more books of the Bible than anyone. He ended his life being one of the greatest apostles who ever lived. He never forgot where he came from. 
he would often, when he introduced him, say, I'm Paul. I was the chiefest of sinners, but now I am the Lord's. He ended his destiny with these words. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, it's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You might not have had a good start, but you can have a happy ending because of what Christ did at Calvary. He paid for your sins, everything you owed with his blood, so that every one of us can have the same opportunity to be reconciled back to God. We just got to want to run away from what has kept us slaves, kept us bound. Sin is a taskmaster. Regardless of what you've done with God, you too can have a happy ending. That's what I love about a good love story. They're so inspiring. How folks start at the bottom and they end up on the top. Hallmark Town's full of these stories. But so is real life. How the destitute overcome their obstacles in their lives and become successful and useful. I love how the least likely prevail over their every stigma put on them to become something great. And now it's always an act of love that pushes them to victory. And God is asking someone in here tonight, don't you want to? You can have a victory. God wants to write a letter to your enemies today, like Paul did for Onesimus, and give you the favor you need to bring peace between you and your enemies. For you see, Christ has overcome the world. He defeated your enemies at Calvary. Now listen closely now. As I read this book so often, neglected. I actually caught the true meaning and importance for this book to be in the Bible. And I was hoping you would too by now. See, I saw Paul as a shadow of Christ. Paul expressing and exemplifying God's plan of transformation and reconciliation for man. When Onesimus came to him, he showed him love, which led to him being converted. And Paul became his spiritual father, who saw Onesimus as more than a slave, but as a son. And Paul interceded on behalf of Onesimus to help him be transformed and liberated and reconciled, even to the point of speaking peace to his enemies. Paul put his favor upon Onesimus and guided his life. You see, I've been in Onesimus, and now maybe you are. But I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, who was willing to love me and forgive me, and interceded for me to my heavenly Father, and he will you too. He sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me. He said, Heavenly Father, Randy was a slave to sin, but he's ran away from it, and he's ran to me, and I have forgiven him. He's become a son, and if he owes you anything, and I did, Put it on my account because I paid for it at Calvary. You know I'm good for it. And then he spoke to my enemies. If the musicians would come, I'm going to close this thing up. As I finished reading this book, I began to meditate on it. I began to think of what Paul did for Onesimus and Philemon. He loved them both. The magnitude of love he had for them was overwhelming. Wanting Onesimus' life to change and at the same time wanting Philemon to believe people can change. I thought, I've seen this process before, the agape love, interceding, forgiveness, and restoration. Then it hit me, and this may be strange to you. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Then a little further down, he says, and the Word became flesh. Now, I knew Paul was shadowing Christ. I thought, Word became flesh. Word became flesh. Letter became flesh. So I'm putting all this together, and then I got it. The letter is Jesus. You see, Jesus is God's love letter to mankind. That when Adam's fallen nature took place and became a mess that man couldn't fix, God sent a love letter, and it was Jesus. It took 42 generations to write it, 33 years for us to read it. Then God sent the letter to Calvary. It was in an envelope called the flesh. But when the Roman soldier pierced his side, he opened the letter and love poured out. Come on, somebody. 
And his blood reconciled men back to God. It set me free. It liberated me. It paid my debt for my sins and your sins. The letter letter read, if you haven't read it, let me read it to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. The letter said, I'm not a slave anymore. I'm a son. The letter said, I'm free, and whose son set free is free indeed. The letter says, I'm no longer useless. I'm useful. It was written and read to speak to my enemies. When addictions have you bound, the letter says, I'll set you free. When weaknesses cause you to be snared, the letter says, I'll set you free. When temptations overtake you, the letter says, I'll set you free. Jesus is our love letter, for God is love. And this little letter Paul wrote made the pages of the Bible because God said, I want in there to tell the runaways to quit running. And because Paul portrayed my love and he carried out the ministry of reconciliation, God says my letter to all the Onesimuses in the world says, whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, I want them to come unto me all your burden, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. There's some Onesimuses in here tonight. And church, you better hear me. There's thousands of others on the way. And perhaps you're here tonight. You haven't started out so well. You've made some mistakes. Maybe committed some injustice. And you're sick of being where you've always been. Feeling as you've always felt useless. Can't seem to find your use. You feel it's always going to be like this for you. God wants you to run away from the pain and the bondage. Like Onesimus did. But where you run to, he says, is important. Tonight, he says, I want you to run to me. And you'll no longer be a slave, but a son and a daughter. And you'll be my brother or sister. And I'll love you. He'll speak peace to your enemies. If you're feeling useless, I'm going to ask you tonight to come and let God make you useful again. If you want to be liberated on the inside, you want to be spiritually set free, don't want to be bound anymore, want a change to truly take place, because you've been lied on, you've been abused, you feel rejected, you've made mistakes, and you think it's going to end like that. Your life's been a mess and you want a happy ending. There is a love here tonight waiting on you to heal you, free you, transform you, reconcile you, console you, and assure you that God is for you and not against you. Would you stand with me? I believe tonight God's got a personal letter he wants to give to those people who are willing to come tonight. See, the reason this ties into our baptism is because we're fixing to have a baptism and the people who are coming were once enslaved. They were born into sin. But through somebody's help, somebody helped them to be recon- lead them to Christ so they could be reconciled back to God. And tonight as a church, we want to say to you, if you're here, as a church, we want to help you, lead you back to Christ, or maybe perhaps lead you to Christ for the first time, to where you can be reconciled back to God. That tonight God can do something special in your life. I was at Onesimus. Maybe you're Onesimus. But tonight God wants to change your life. And I don't want to go into the baptism tonight. There's a reason I didn't want to go to it before I preach this, preach this message. I just want to make sure every single person in this room has the same opportunity that these people that I had to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
you deserve the same opportunity. Maybe you just came tonight because you have a loved one being baptized. Maybe you're not giving your heart yet. You can tonight. The whole family can be saved. Maybe you're here tonight and you've walked away from the Lord. You can come back tonight and be reconciled back to God. Because we're going to help you. That's why our role, church. If we're going to win this harvest, church, we've got to help everyone be reconciled back to God regardless of what they've done. And we've got to help people find their way to Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a minute, if you're here tonight, before I go on, I want to give you the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even if there's just one or many. I want to give you the same opportunity, even if you want to come tonight and give your life to Christ and be baptized. I'll get you on the list tonight, and we'll even baptize you tonight. But I want to make sure you have this opportunity before we move on to our baptism. If you're here tonight and you say, I, need, I want to know Jesus Christ, I want to be reconciled, it's time. I'm going to ask you to step out from right where you are and make your way to this altar. Is there one? Is there anyone tonight who says, I'm ready. I want to be saved. I'm not going to hold long, but I did not want to go into a baptism and someone be in here that needs to be saved when you should have the same opportunity as those that are getting baptized tonight. So one last call is anybody says, I want to be reconciled back to God. If you do, you can make your way to this altar and God will forgive your sins regardless of what age you are. Tonight, we got children being baptized and we got adults being baptized. We got some being baptized for the first time. We got some that's just going to redo their baptism tonight. So, with that said, I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into our baptism. Father, we come to you tonight in the precious name of Jesus Christ, Lord. We're thankful for, Lord, for those that are coming tonight to be baptized. We're thankful for those who help those that are being baptized, for those who help lead them to you, Father so that they could be reconciled. We understand by your message tonight, dear God, that we have the responsibility of seeing to many, to where many are reconciled back to you by us loving them and assuring them we will help them, God. We're to be the church in this end-time harvest, God, that has a responsibility and fulfills it of reconciling people back to you. And God, I just pray we do it, and I pray we do it well in Jesus' name. Let's have a baptism, church. Hallelujah. Lucas, if you'll come. And Lucas will call you up to be baptized. Up first, we got Mr. Paxton Duncan. He's going to be baptized by Pastor Mike. 